Good morning, Hope. That was, um, that was holy. That was beautiful. Uh, welcome to all of you who are here in our worship center in West Des Moines. Those of you who are sitting in some of our alternative worship rooms around the building, too. And uh, welcome to everybody at Waukee and Grimes and Ames uh, and other local sites that are joining us today. Um, really good. It's really good to have all of you together as one in Jesus Christ. I brought the stool out a little bit further than usual. Usually it's just a stand for my Bible and notes. But today I want to sit and I want to talk to you heart to heart. At least at the beginning of this sermon, I want to, I want to talk to you about what we're going through together. I read something on the internet this last week, and so you know it's true. <laughs> it was actually in my news feed, and it was a pretty reputable source. Uh, and it said that 61% of Americans are burnt out. 61%. That means three out of every five people I'm talking to right now are feeling some signs or symptoms of burnout. You're worn, you're frazzled, um, energy's low, uh, drive is low, desire's low, um, feeling like checking out, uh, not sure you can make it. People are quitting jobs, and I know there's a lot of talk about why uh, you know, nobody can hire anybody these days, and, and, and it's hard for restaurants to make it, it's hard for retail businesses to make it. They can't seem to find the staff, they can't seem to find the people. And I think part of that is because of all sorts of things. There's economic issues there, there's all, all sorts of other things too. But I think a big part of it is we're, we're burnt out. We're, we're done and you know we can pretend and fake it and come to church and just say oh happy you know uh, clappy and sing our songs and everything but praise God for worship leaders around here who say Let, let's pray. So thank you for standing, thank you for being prayed for, thank you for praying for the people who stood, uh, thank you for being the church, thank you for doing that on a regular basis, thank you for being a church that prays. I want to tell you what the Bible says, what more specifically Jesus says about prayer today. And it's a part of our series, Say What? Looking and making sense of some of the more uh, shocking or radical things that Jesus said as they're recorded in the scriptures. And so far we've looked at, in the first three weeks, things that Jesus says that remind us, and this is important because we don't want to have a shallow superficial faith, we've been reminded of the things that Jesus calls us to to walk a narrow road, a a road less traveled, a, a pathway that includes surrender, which is hard, and sacrifice, which is hard. And selfless living, which is hard, which is why it's a narrow path. And the rest of the world says, here, here's where you'll find life. It's, it's thinking about yourself and focusing in on number one and you're number one. And, and doing things that are good for, you know, whatever your pleasure. And, and making sure you're accomplishing everything you want to do or, or seeking out to do that. And Jesus says, well, actually, that's not going to get you where you want to go. And so we, we pointed you to that the last three weeks. Shocking statements. But... Ultimately, Jesus isn't saying these things because he wants to just test our religion or our fortitude or, or how disciplined we are in following him. He's telling us this because there's no other way to get to the place where we want to go. I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about what we see this side of heaven. I'm talking about what there is for us right here and now. Today we turn a page and we start looking at another side of Jesus' shocking and radical statements by looking at the benefits of the Christian life. Because if you are taught or told that Christianity is just this this burdensome road and that's all there is to it, then you aren't getting the whole picture. 
It is sacrifice. It is surrender. It it is selfless living. It it is the road less traveled. For sure, that's the road that takes us to the places where we're going to see things only Jesus can show us. But that same road is also a road of incredible blessings. And my concern is, and now I think this relates to burnout, is I'm not sure we're tapping into those, generally speaking, as Christians, because we're missing a really key point. Jesus teaches us about prayer here in Matthew chapter 6, our Bible reading for today, and in the midst of that, he teaches the Lord's Prayer. But surrounding that whole discourse, surrounding Jesus' teaching in his Sermon on the Mount, this prayer, which is the greatest prayer ever taught. And we'll get into that. But I want you to see this is a perfect example of text and context. Jesus said something shocking. He said, when you pray, go to your private room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in that secret place. This teaching gets misinterpreted and misapplied all the time. Christians who just proof text, meaning you pull the text out, but you don't read it in the context of what Jesus is saying, will say, therefore, you shouldn't pray in public. You shouldn't pray together as a congregation. You shouldn't pray anywhere except in your own little prayer room all by yourself, and that's the only way you should do it. But that's not consistent with the totality of Scripture. The the rest of the context of Scripture says pray together as, as a community, as a congregation, as gathered people. Come forward for prayer after services. Pray in groups. Pray, pray with your family. Pray with your friends. Pray, pray together. Pray individually, yes. Pray together, yes. Both are good. So what's Jesus getting at here? When we look at the context of this text, Matthew chapter 6, we start to see it. What Jesus is pushing back against is something that keeps people from the benefits and blessings of Christianity. And I would add, this is me, not the Lord, but I'm convinced that this has a lot to do with the source for our burnout. Oh, I know it's complicated. I know all sorts of other things cause burnout. I know we're in a pandemic. I know that's a major contributor to burnout that people are feeling right now. The thing just never seems to end. It seems to linger. It seems to linger. It seems to linger. And we keep wondering, when are we going to get back to the way things were? But the great thing about Christianity is we can be honest about these things. And we can address them head on. And we don't have to hide it. And we don't have to fake it. There it is. Turn to the person next to you, whatever campus or local site you're at right now, if you're online, if you're by yourself, uh, open up a window or a door and shout it out from your house. Turn to the person next to you and say, stop faking it. Stop faking your Christian life. Stop faking spirituality. Stop putting on a pose and an air. Stop pretending to be holier than you really are, more righteous than you really are, more moral than you really are more perfect than you really are, more religious than you really are. You say, well, that just seems so contrary to what Christianity, which is a religion, right, is supposed to be. Shouldn't we try to be more of those things? Not if you're faking it. This is the context of Jesus' text. He he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And before I teach on what Jesus said about the Lord's Prayer to you today, and I'm going to get there, we have to set the context Because it doesn't do any good to learn how to pray if our heart isn't in the right place. It's one thing to pray the Lord's Prayer with your lips. That's great. That's better than not doing it at all. It's one thing altogether better to ponder it in your mind as you pray these prayers and think about the meaning of what it is you're praying and not miss it. But it's best of all, better even still, 
to immerse yourself in the blessing of this gift of prayer, in this relationship God wants to establish with you. The other day I was, um, I was on social media and I was checking messages and I got one from a guy named Kenny Haywood. And I was like, I, there's no way this could be Kenny Haywood, the guy I was on the basketball team with in high school back in Chicago at our high school for three years. I, Kenny Haywood. I'm, I haven't talked to him in decades. And we were really good friends. We were, we were tight. Kenny lived on the west side and, and he would bus into our school like a lot of other students would. Uh, our school was on the northwest side of the city and, and we met because we were on the same basketball team and, and we bonded as brothers. And I'd go hang out at his house, he'd come hang out at my house. We'd sleep over, do all those things high school students would do. But we lost touch the way people do. And I, you know, hadn't heard from him and he hadn't heard from me, I'll own that, for decades. So out of the blue, he drops me a message on social media and he goes, House, how you doing? I just found you on here. Wow, it's Kenny Haywood. And I wrote back right away, I was like, Kenny Haywood from Taft High School, from the basketball, it's you? It's me. He goes, here's my phone number. You should call me sometime. I called him right then and there. <laughs> like, yeah, kidding. We talked for a long time, right? I mean, I don't remember how long. And so he's like, you sounded like you're a sophomore in high school again. <laughs> you're like, yeah, well, because it, it just like went straight back to it. Just, it, it, it clicked within like 10 seconds. We're, we're back. It's like we hadn't missed a beat. But the, of course, the, the sad strain to that story is, what have we missed over the last few decades by not staying connected? Here's the thing, folks. I think a lot of us in our prayer lives, that's what it's like. We have this gift called prayer. We have this blessing. We have this benefit. When's the last time you had a heart-to-heart with God? When's the last time you carved out time? You, you, you say, and didn't just do it on the fly. Or do it as a ritual before a meal or, or your bedtime prayers. When's the last time you had a meaningful conversation with the one who wants to be that kind of friend for you? Jesus says, no longer do I call you just my students, my followers, but I call you my friends. Do you have that kind of friendship with Jesus Christ, your Lord? Now this is radical, this is shocking, but shocking on a, on a blessing, benefit side of the ledger. Jesus comes and he says, let me teach you how to pray, but before I do, I need to tell you, you need to get your heart in the right place. Otherwise, you're just going to go through the motions of prayer and it's not going to have any effect. And you're going to get tired of it and you're going to get worn out of it. It's going to help contribute to your burnout because you're not connected to the one who made you. It certainly certainly is going to have at least an influence on whether or not we're living life to the fullest the most abundant levels. And so Jesus says, when you pray, I need to tell you to stop faking it. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't just go through the motions of prayer. Don't just say the words. But open up your head and your heart to it too. Immerse yourself in this gift. Dr. Seuss, who was a Lutheran, just going to add that for, for no necessarily important reason, but then you know he was theologically pure. (laughs) mostly kidding so 
So Dr. Seuss wrote all sorts of books, as you know, including All the Places You'll Go, which is this commonly given gift for people when they graduate from high school, students when they graduate from high school or college or, or whatever. All the places you'll go. And it's this kind of fan, fantasy, fantastic sort of journey of you'll go here and you'll go there, and it's poetic the way Dr. Seuss is. All the places you'll go if your relationship with Jesus Christ could be authentic. And what a huge benefit you're missing out on if you, if you think Christianity doesn't come with this incredible blessing of you get to tell God the truth. This is one of the contrasting factors of all of the religions. I have great respect for the major world religions, but there is this distinctive, and it's a really important one. Christianity is the only one of the major world religions that doesn't talk about how good we have to be to get there. How, how we have to perform, what we have to do, all the religious things we have to do, all the righteous things we have to do, all, all the spiritual things we have to do. Because if we don't do them, we're not going to get there, wherever there is. We're not going to get to, to, you know, nirvana. We're not going to get to a supreme being. We're, we're not going to get to an afterlife. We're not going to get there unless we do it on our own. Well, that's exhausting. That'll burn out your soul spiritually. Especially if you start faking and saying, well, you know, I, I can fake out my friends maybe. I can fake out my family even. Maybe even sometimes I can fake out myself. And I can tell myself I'm doing better than I really am. Which contributes to burnout. But all oh, the places you'll go if you'll just tell God the truth. My favorite professor in seminary, theology professor, said, you realize, he said this to the class, that you're way closer to God when you're humbling yourself down on a knee confessing your sin than when you're all puffed up with spiritual pride. When you're all filled up with faking it and saying, well, look at all these, look at my resume, look at all these spiritual things I'm doing. I'm at church and, I, and I'm in this group and I'm serving and I'm volunteering and I'm singing in the choir and I'm doing all these things. I, I, I'm a part of it. I, I'm in. No, we, we do those things because we have this authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing the depth of God's amazing grace? Because this is the good news of following Jesus Christ as he leads us on this narrow path. Part of the narrow path and, and the reason the world doesn't quite get it is because Jesus has this countercultural perspective where he says, look, the only way you're going to stand righteous before a holy God is by my grace. You're going to get what you don't deserve. Grace means God looks at you, God looks at me, God looks at us, and he says, I know everything about you. You can't fake it with me. Even when you do those religious things, even when you do those spiritual things, I know your motive. I know your heart. I know why you're doing it. And it's not hardly ever 100% pure if we're going to be honest. Now remember what my theology professor, Dr. Ferdy, said. We're closest to God when we admit it. When we confess it, when we acknowledge it, because God, in his amazing grace, this is grace. Amazing grace isn't, well, you deserve it, and so now God loves you. Grace is the opposite of that. Grace is a God who comes to the, to, into this world, crashes in through the person of Jesus Christ for you, for me. So we don't have to be hypocrites. We don't have to fake it. Jesus says, when you pray, stop faking it. Stop going through the motions. Stop just saying the words. Stop just doing it because it's the thing you do. I want your heart. Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want your heart, Jesus says. 
In fact, when he teaches on the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew 6, he gives three different examples. He says, when you do your good deeds, when you give your gifts, when you give your offerings, you don't do it because you're going to get a big cardboard check and a photo op and get your name engraved on a plaque somewhere. Because if that's your motivation for doing it, that's all the reward you'll ever get. Whoever saw the photo, whoever sees your, sees your name on the plaque, that's all you're going to get for it. But if you want to impress the God who made you, if you want to do it for the right reasons, you do it anonymously. You do it without needing anybody to notice you. Or if people do know that you did it, that wasn't your motivation. Your motivation was, I just genuinely care about this cause. I genuinely want to give to it. Jesus says, when you give, stop faking it. Stop doing it for the wrong reasons. And he says, when you pray, stop faking it. Don't be like the hypocrites. And then he says one more, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Fasting means giving up something so that we can focus in more on God in our spiritual journey with God. We do that during the season of Lent. Traditionally, as Christians, we give up chocolate or we give up coffee or, or, or we give up something else for the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter so that we can zoom in more on God. But if your motivation for giving up chocolate is so you can brag to all your friends you're giving up chocolate, you missed it. You missed the whole point. I need your heart, Jesus says. Otherwise, no wonder you're burnt out. No wonder you're spiritually are, are in a desert. Because you're doing it to get seen. You're doing it to get noticed. You're doing it, doing it so other people will see you do what you do. Was it a pastor's uh, gathering a few years ago? Um, that was really cool to be at. There, there were a lot of pastors, regular pastors like me who were there. And then there was, there was a whole slew of, like no other gathering I've ever been to my whole lifetime. Of, of like world famous pastors and church leaders. Rick Warren is there, who at the time had written the second most popular book in the history of the world, The Purpose Driven Life. And he sees me, and I'm convinced to this day, he misunderstood me for somebody else. Because <laughs> he walks across the room, this is Rick Warren, and he gives me, he's a big guy, he's a bigger than me guy. He gives me a big giant bear hug, he goes, how you doing? I go, I'm fine, he goes, where are you now? Because then I started, he started to realize, I don't know this guy. I said, oh, I'm in Des Moines. I'm, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And he looks over at his assistant who follows him around everywhere with a little notepad. Get his number. Hey, call me. And, and then he comes back later. He goes, oh, he says, what, what, tell me more about your church. He goes, I've heard of that church. That's that Lutheran church. I'm like, no way. Rick Warren's heard of us. I'm done. I retire. I'm going to say it. It's over, right? Beth Moore. The Beth Moore comes up to, to my wife and I at this gathering. And she looks at Sally. She goes, my, my, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. And I agree. She's right. But this is Beth Moore. Most down-to-earth people you'd ever want to hang out with and meet. Here comes Cardinal Dolan, a New York cardinal for the Roman Catholic Church. And he's wearing his robes and the whole thing. It was Billy Graham's funeral. And so he, he's coming in. He's got this thing. And he goes, so I hear you're from Iowa. I'm like, I can't believe Cardinal Dolan is talking to me. He goes, yeah, I'm from Iowa. He goes, you know where I can get a good pork sandwich around here? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I'm like, this is Xanadu. This is nuts, man. This is crazy. And then on the other side of in contrast to that, I won't name names, there were a couple of people 
who didn't have the time of day for a regular old pastor like me. One of them even came up to me and goes, Lutheran, huh? Well, how about that? And he walked away. <laughs> I know, I was like, well, I'm never going to read your books anymore. <laughs> That's it. That's the way you're going to be about it. Stop faking it. Romans 12 says, don't think you're better than you really are. I, I was so blessed to, to meet these people who are so, I mean, big, huge names in the church world. They know who they are. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not telling you they're perfect saints. I'm just saying they're down to earth. They're genuine. It's authentic. They have this thing called authentic faith. They know who's doing it for them. And we've always tried to make that a huge unwritten value here at Hope. That we won't fake it. That we won't put on an air. We'll give you excellence. We'll do our best. I'm not going to phone in a sermon. Neither any of the other preachers or teachers. Bible studies, groups, all the ministries we do. We're going to give God our best. We're, we're going to strive for excellence. We're going to do that for the glory of God. Not the glory of us. Because we see where churches that fake it end up. It's a dead end. They crash. So I want you to experience the freedom of God's amazing grace. Where you get to be honest to God about who you are. Where you don't come into a church and feel like you have to fake it. You just get to be who you are. So if you need prayer, you stand up and you say, I need prayer. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put on an air. You're like, well, I need to stay sitting here because I don't want anyone to think I need prayer. And then they'll wonder what I need prayer for. Like something's really wrong. Here's, here's an honest truth. Something's wrong with all of us. All of us have issues. All of us have sin. All of us have problems. All of us have shortcomings. All of us have weaknesses. That's when grace becomes amazing. Because we realize the God of the universe still loves us anyway. Soak in that for a little while. Now you're ready to pray. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says when you pray. Have an authentic faith. Discover the blessing of Christianity that you get to be real. You get to be honest to God. You don't have to fake it anymore. I know there's a lot of Christians who fake it. Bless them. God bless them. But don't follow them. Follow the Jesus who says, let me show you a better way. Stop faking it. The Greek word for faking it or for hypocrite that Jesus uses three, four times here in Matthew chapter 6 is up on the screen right there. It means literally in the original Greek, an actor. Somebody who's faking it. Take a look at that screen and you'll see Ray Charles, right? No, that's Jamie Foxx. He's faking it. He's faking it really well. Academy Award winning level really well. Hypocrisy. Acting. I mean, he's really good at it. I'm not like dismissing him for doing it or disparaging him for doing it. Over on the right-hand side of the screen, that's not Mr. Rogers. That's Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers in a movie, doing it incredibly well to the point where you forget that's Tom Hanks because he's such a good hypocrite. Because he's such a good professional actor that you think you're looking at Mr. Rogers. It's not him. Sometimes my wife and I have to remind ourselves of this, and I'm trying to be kind about that, but usually I have to remind Sally, like when we watch intense movies or something on Netflix, and I have to remember, she's like, I can't, I, no, I just can't do this anymore. I said, they're actors. <laughs> they're faking it. Jaws apparently is on Netflix, and the reason I know this is we started to watch it the other night. I'm like, well, this will be fun. I haven't seen this since junior high. Jaws. I remember. That was a great movie. We started watching it and Sally's like, ah! 
It's intense. I forgot. How it, now I know why my parents didn't want me to watch that movie when I was in seventh grade. Oh my goodness, it's over the top intense. It's just in, insanely intense. Wow, I was freaking out. I'm like, Sally, remind me they're actors and the fish is mechanical. Please remind me. Oh my goodness, they're all dying. They're all getting eaten by a shark, a killer shark. No, they're not. It's fake. It's all fake. The, the, the Good Witch and, and the Evil Witch in, in Wicked, the Wizard of Oz Broadway musical. They're not really witches. One isn't really evil. The other one isn't really 100% pure good. They're faking it. They're hypocrites. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way again. But when it comes to your walk with God, you got to stop faking it. When you pray, you don't want to sound like these really good actors who are just doing their lines better than we ever could. But you don't want to sound like this. Take a look. Frank, would you like to say grace? Unless you're not comfortable. Absolutely. <clears throat> Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. Oh, God, ease our suffering in this our moment of great despair. Yea, admit this good and decent woman into thine arms and the flock in thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he laid its down bind at the band of the Canaanites. And yea, though the Hindus speak of karma. Clark. I implore you, give her, give her a break. Clark. Barukata, alleluia. Two little mice fell into a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned, but the second mouse, he struggled so hard that he eventually churned that cream into butter. And he walked out. Amen. 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 Oh, that was beautiful. You're tiny, Jesus. Your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, and with liberty and justice Amen. 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 We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money! Dr. Connors, are you Lutheran? Yes, I am a Lutheran. Well, that explains it then. It's not Leonardo DiCaprio's fault or Chevy Chase or Will Ferrell or any of the other actors who are reading their lines and doing it in a real believable way. But the problem is, is you'll never fake out God on that. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. And so before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, make sure your heart's in the right place. And then he teaches us how to pray. Once we have that authentic faith, man, that's going to be a game changer. 
Get your heart in the right place and watch what God does to your prayer life. Watch, watch what happens to your relationship with God because prayer is all about a relationship. It's like me connecting with Kenny Haywood again. If you haven't talked to God like this for a long time, no wonder you're in a desert, spiritually speaking. No wonder you're on the fringe or the, or the, the brink of burning out. I realize there could be other matters, issues, other contributors to the burnout. So I'm not suggesting, well, if you just do this, then by 1 o'clock this afternoon, you're going you're gonna to be done with your burnout, and it'll be in the rearview mirror, and that's it. But I'm talking to uh, people where three out of every five of you are burnt out. And this will help. It will at least be a step forward. So take a step today. Take a step in a positive direction today. When Jesus taught us how to pray, after setting that context, make sure your heart's in the right place. He started to teach. Remember, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He has Jewish followers. His disciples are all Jewish. The 12 that he chooses to follow him. And then the crowd of the hundreds who are following him, almost all Jewish as well. And so they call him teacher or rabbi. Rabbinical prayers in the Old Testament, Jesus would know this, his followers would know this, were called the Shimona Esrei or the Adima, which is just fancy Hebrew words that mean 18 blessings. Still to this day, devoted Jewish people pray these 18 blessings on a daily basis, morning, afternoon, and evening. And on the Sabbath, they do an extra one. And on holy days in the Jewish calendar, they do more. And on one holy day, once a year, Yom Kippur, they do even more. This is a good discipline. This can be a really positive thing. I know for some of you the temptation is to say, oh, those are just rituals. Those are just kind of, you know, rehearsed lines over and over and they start, start to lose their meaning. And so they're just going through the motions and this is hypocrisy. Not necessarily. It, it certainly can be, but so can freestyle prayers. You could just be going through the motions of those too by, by learning the phrasing that you've learned and in, in, in the piety with which you grew up in and so this is how you pray and these, this is the vocabulary you use and this is the language you use and this is how you do it and this is about how long it's supposed to be and this is how many verses of scripture you need to quote and, and so you go through the motions and you go, check, good prayer, I did it. And then this becomes just as ritualistic as this. So what do we do? Jesus comes along and he teaches us a new prayer, commonly referred to today as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. But for Jesus, it wasn't, hey, I'm going to teach you the Lord's Prayer today. For Jesus, it was, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And so this prayer becomes a bridge between the more traditional prayers and, 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 and the more um, informal prayers, formal and informal it's sort of in between. At first glance, you say, well, it's formal. It's always the same words, but it isn't. The version in Matthew 6 and the version in Luke 11 are not exactly the same, which tells us that Jesus wasn't so keyed up on using the exact words. He wanted to teach us how to pray. He wanted to teach us to pray for specific things. Not because God needs to hear it, but because we need to hear it. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember who we are. And so Jesus says, I want to teach you how to pray. I want to teach you how to talk to God, your creator. I want to teach you how to bond with God through prayer, through these conversations, through reconnecting with an old friend that maybe you haven't talked to for a long, long time. Or you haven't talked to in a way that's free. You haven't talked to in a way that's ultimately going to be a blessing. The 18 blessings aren't blessings if we're just going through the motions. If we're just saying them with our lips. But they are the richest blessings if our heart is immersed in it. 
If we're going through those really classically written prayers every day, three times a day, it is going to just boost your spiritual life, just as freestyle prayers will, if your heart's in the right place. It's all a matter of heart. The Lord's Prayer is not only a bridge between formal and informal prayers, but you'll see as we go that it's also a bridge between past, present, and future. It bridges the gaps of time. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for past things. Forgive us our sins from the past as we forgive those who trespass or sin or are debtors against us. Past sins. It talks about current, present, moment needs. Give us this day, today, today, our daily bread. It talks about future hopes. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it hasn't happened yet, God. So we're praying with hope for the future because our Lord taught us to do this. When we pray, this is what you pray for. You pray for these kinds of things. It's a bridge between denominations. Ecumenically, you can get Roman Catholics, Protestants, non-denominational, Pentecostal. You can get all these different Christians in one room. And where we would disagree on all sorts of things, when we pray this prayer, we pray it together. And I know some of you are like waiting for me to answer this part of the question. Is it debts or trespasses or sins? Which is it? Which one's right? That's not the point. They're all translations of the original Greek, and all of them are legitimate translations of the original Greek word. Plus, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. It's not about the language or the words. If you grew up Lutheran or Episcopalian or Catholic or most Methodist, you say trespasses. If you grew up Presbyterian or Reformed, or you were non-denominational, and the Presbyterians or Reformed people had the most influence on your non-denomination, you said debts and debtors. If you grew up in a, in a probably an edgy, kind of uh, forward-looking mainline church, you might have said sins. It all means the same thing. When we pray this prayer, and I've experienced this, I wonder if you have too, we're all praying the same prayer, and except when we get to debts, trespasses, sins. It, it's kind of fun because you get there, it's like, well, what percentage of the crowd are going to say what? I wonder. And then if you get to the end, if you're at a funeral and everybody's praying the Lord's Prayer, the Catholics will get done faster than you. Because they say it's redundant to say forever and ever. And as an English lit major, they have a point. And so they just say forever, amen. But the Lutherans, because, I don't know, we're just right. We say forever and ever, amen. Because that's what Jesus said, right? No, actually he didn't. You're like, I knew it. Jesus just said one forever amen, didn't he? No, he didn't. The whole part for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever or just forever amen is a human edition in the 1600s that was a part of the Book of Common Prayer because they wanted to teach kids how to memorize this prayer so they made it more poetic. It's biblical in the sense that there are psalms and there are prayers that sound very much like that kind of language. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. There's nothing wrong with adding it in. But Jesus ends the prayer both in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 as he teaches the Lord's Prayer with lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Period. That's it. That's the end. He doesn't even say amen. Get back to the heart of the matter. It's not the vocabulary. It's not the precise words you use. It's praying for these things. 
It's praying for these things that Jesus teaches us to pray for. And that unites us. That brings us together between formal and informal, between generations, between past, present, and future, uh, between denominations. It brings us together as one. And so we pray with our hearts in the right place. And that's when things start to change for us. Our Father who art in heaven... There are seven petitions in this prayer. Let's just go back to this screen before just for a second. The first three petitions going down to on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father is the first, hallowed is the second, thy kingdom come is the third are all about God. Again, God doesn't need to be reminded who he is. We need to be reminded who God is. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray this way. The last four petitions, starting with give us this day our daily bread, through the end of the prayer that's in scripture, and then the Book of Common Prayer edition, you say, wait a minute, my Bible, Matthew chapter 6, the King James Version, you know, the English language Jesus used, even though it was 1,600 years before that Bible was ever published, and he didn't speak English, But that Bible says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'll tell you a little secret. The King James people cheated. And they added that in because that was the way everybody was memorizing it at the time. It's not in the Greek. It's just not there. But these last four petitions, the first three are about who God is. The last four are about who we are in our relationship with God. And what Jesus tells us we should pray for above all else. Let's break it down. Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. We'll spend a little bit more time on this one and then we're going to fly because biblical scholars, theologians, I agree with them wholeheartedly say if you get this part down and you get your heart in the right place with this part, which is all about a relationship between you and God, the rest of it is going to click. If you don't get that relationship part down, if you don't have an authentic approach to this prayer, if you don't understand what this means, you might as well not even move forward. Our Father who art in heaven. Preached on this we have over the last few weeks, and so I won't belabor this point, but it bears repeating. Jesus is saying something absolutely shocking and radical. He says, when you pray, you don't just pray to some supreme being in a distant heaven, light years away from here. You're praying to a God who wants to be as close to you as a good and loving and perfect Father. That's a real trip up for a lot of people who don't have good and loving fathers. And you say, if that's who God is, this is going to be a problem for me. Is there an alternative? Is there something else I could say? Not from Jesus. So I want you to hear this with all the love in my heart. I say this because I want you to be free. I want you to experience this. God is not the father who left you, who abandoned you, who abused you, who took off from your mother, who wasn't there for you, if that's your story. God is a good father, a perfect father, a loving father, the father you deserved, the father you should have had, the father who you do have in heaven, the father who shows up for you over and over, every moment of every day of your life, 24-7. God is the God who leads and guides. God is the God of amazing grace for you. So when you pray to father in heaven, that's who you're praying to even more. The Greek word here for father is pater, which probably doesn't surprise you a lot. It sounds a lot like father. That's because it is the word father in Greek. But remember, Jesus wasn't speaking in Greek. He was speaking in Aramaic. It's a Greek written version of what Jesus actually said. And the word in Aramaic that Jesus undoubtedly had to use at this point was actually Abba. Not the 70s pop group from Sweden. Abba. Dad. 
even more informal. Our dad, the God who is the creator of the entire universe with all of the majesty and the glory that that contains, wants to be my and your dad who wants to be there for us, our dad. And actually, literally, the word Abba means daddy. What? That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. The kind a good, a perfect father, a perfect daddy would have with his kids. This is God. This is you. This is the relationship that's available for you. Do you have it? Are you living with God like that? Because that would change so many things in your life. If we could just get this part down. Now, for some of you who are saying, ah, oh, this is just a little too informal for me. I, I, what, what, aren't we going to lose something there? Yes, we would. And so within just a few words, Jesus balances that all, provides the perfect contrast. God's surprise, shocking, radical statement, Jesus says. Let's make sense of this. If our hearts are in the right place, God is your loving and perfect daddy. But at the same time, his name is so holy and hallowed, you best not mess with it. You only use God's name in the name of Jesus Christ when you're worshiping him and when you're praying to him. You do not use him to make sure your friends know this time I'm telling the truth. I swear to God's name. You don't use his name as an expression of surprise or oh my God's name. It's holier than that. Stop messing with it. Stop dragging it down into the mud. Jesus reminds us in this prayer. So as we pray this prayer, we're both getting a God who's surprisingly close to us and a God who's holy. God who's not to be messed with. When my wife and I went to the Holy Land years ago with some friends, the highlight for me for sure was walking into the church that was built on the site where Jesus was crucified and several dozen feet away from that in the same church building where he rose from the dead. And I know there's no way to know for sure if those are the exact GPS coordinates. But folks, we're in the neighborhood. We're within yards of the actual place where Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. And when you're there, you can get in line and kneel down and touch the stone where the cross was. And you can kneel down and touch the stone where the empty tomb was. It blew me away. Not because I was like, well, this had to be the exact stone. I don't care. This is the exact neighborhood. Where something so holy happened, it has the power to save anybody who turns to this Jesus and believes, puts his or her faith or trust in this Jesus. Holy, overwhelming. Let me tell you this now. Whatever sanctuary you're in where you hear my voice right now, whether it's a community room at your local site, uh, uh, your campus sanctuary, the, this worship center right here in West Des Moines, you are sitting on holy ground. This room is holy and I don't think it would be the worst thing if we would reclaim that a little bit more. If we would remember, oh, informally, we can come here just as we are, authentically, not putting on an air, but we take God, not ourselves, but we take God more seriously. We come into this space and we realize this is holy ground. This is space where God promises to meet us in some spectacularly specific ways. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Whoa, how I, how I praise you when I come into your sanctuary, into your holy ground, into your holy space, the Bible declares. Oh God, remind me of who you are. God doesn't need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. 
We worship a holy God who's bigger than pandemics, who's bigger than our burnout, who's bigger than the things, the obstacles, and the challenges that are facing you. How big is your God? Because if you're minimizing God, you're missing out on the benefits. Your God is holy. Your God is bigger than it all. And he's also as familiar to you as a good and loving and perfect daddy. See what I mean? This is the key phrase in the whole prayer. We get that down, the rest of the prayer is going to just light up. We don't get that down, we're going to miss the whole thing. So we'll just fly through the rest of it. Hallowed be thy name. Next screen, please. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom, not, not my will, your will be done, God. Bring your kingdom in. Bring your justice to our injustice. Bring your heaven into our earth. Bring your right side up into our upside down. Bring your hope into our despair. Bring your healing into our diseases and our pandemics. Bring your kingdom come. We're going to get glimpses of it now, but we pray that it will fully come. Bring it, God. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice it doesn't say give me my day, my daily bread, but it also doesn't say give them their day this daily bread. We're in this together. It's us, and Jesus is reminding us of that here in this prayer by intentionally choosing the pronouns. Give us this day. We're in this collectively as a whole. It isn't just about me. It isn't just about you. It's about us. Give us what we need, our daily bread for this day right now. Forgive us our trespasses or our debts or our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because if we don't, God, we're like this guy with a backpack full of bricks. You might not see it, but this is the way you're living. If you're living in unforgiveness, you say, I'll never forgive that person. The reason Jesus commands forgiveness, the reason he wants us to pray this when we pray his prayer that he taught us how to pray is because he knows what a stumbling block this is for us. He knows what a burden this is for us and he knows exactly how to lighten it he says let it go forgiveness biblically does not mean forgetting forgiveness biblically does not mean endorsing or giving a thumbs up to the behavior that was done against you forgiveness means you let it go you no longer let that person rent space in your brain anymore it's gone you run into that person out in the community you're totally I'm at peace with it because I let it go it's not that you forget, it's not that you say that what you did to me is okay, but you're just not going to carry it anymore. God gives his amazing grace to us, and he couples that together in this prayer by saying, and so you will do the same for those around you. And in so doing, you're going to release all sorts of chains. They're going to be broken, and you're going to experience a freedom. You know, when you let go of something heavy, what happens to you? You know, you're holding it, you're holding it, you're holding it, and you drop it, and quite naturally, physically, your hands just drift up. Praise God for his grace and the grace he commands me to share with others. And then the big finish, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we need you to show us the way. The world tries, they try. They always lead us to dead ends. Show us the way out, even when it doesn't seem like the way out. Even when it doesn't seem to the wisdom of the world that that would be the way we're supposed to go. We'll put our trust in you on the narrow path. And so we pray. We pray for God to give us this new life. So I'll sit down and end the way I started. Where's your heart? 
The invitation to have a faith in God that's authentic is one that will radically change your life. Not to mention the freedom it'll produce. You don't have to fake it anymore. You get to be who you actually are, face to face with God. It's not like you can talk God out of who you really are, what the motives of your heart are. So just bring him to the cross. Bring him to God in prayer. Forgive me my trespasses, us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Set us free, God, as we set others free. So that we can have better relationships in the world around us. So that we can have a better relationship with you, God. We can have communion with you. A holy communion. So that's what we're going to do. If you have some bread and wine around, if you grab some on the way in, wherever you might be, go ahead and take that. In the night in which he's betrayed, our Lord Jesus took this bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, for the forgiveness of sins. God wants to have a relationship with you. So he sent his son into this world to die for you, to bring his amazing grace to you. We find God best when we're on our knees confessing, not when we're puffed up with spiritual pride saying, oh, I've earned this communion today. I haven't and you haven't either, truth be told. We need it. We need it as a mark and a sign. And so Jesus says, this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. If you believe it, as you receive it, it's done to you. Again, after supper, he took the cup of the Passover meal and said, this cup is in the new covenant of my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this to remember me. And so Jesus said, this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. If you believe it, the promise, not the wine, not the grape juice, not the bread itself, but the Jesus who promises to be in the bread and the wine, if you believe it, it's done to you. You walk out of here different than the way you came in. This is the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Where you get to be real, where you get to be authentic, where you get to be honest. And so we're going to close a little differently today. We're going to pray. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Only we're going to do so silently while Alyssa sings it. If you thought Alyssa only knew how to sing contemporary Christian rock and roll type music, you're about to have your mind blown. Because Alyssa's classically trained vocalist. But here's the thing. As she begins, you're going to kind of have your breath taken away and you're going to say, oh my, that's the most beautiful voice I've heard in a long time. But I so strongly encourage you, don't just stay there. Alyssa wouldn't want you to just stay there. Immerse yourself in what she's leading us to pray. Immerse yourself in this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Immerse yourself in the relationship that he's pointing us to, where you can quit faking it, and where you can discover this gift that God gives you to connect with the one who made you. Anytime, any place, from anywhere, to connect and have communion with God. That's what's going on here. I mean, it's beautiful music. But deeper than that, it's a powerful, life-changing prayer. Let's pray. Our 
Give God praise. Give God all the praise, all the glory. Now, if you believe it, if you believe what Jesus teaches in that prayer, shout it out. Shout amen. amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. If you'd like more prayer, there'll be prayer partners up by the prayer candles, or you can light a candle too. But wherever you go, whatever you do, keep praying. God wants to hear from you.